We are go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side as always in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. On this episode of Planet 8, we're going to be talking about the classic science fiction films, The Thing from Another World, John Carpenter's take on the genre. His film was called The Thing. And then there was a prequel that came out years later that was also titled The Thing. Uh, let's kick it over to Chief Engineer Bob to get us started. Bob? Yeah, all three movies, to a certain extent, were all based on the novel Who Goes There by John Campbell. And uh, to varying degrees of success, uh, the thing from another world really just kind of took the f fact that it was took place in an Arctic base, but they did not take into effect all the the shape changing, shape shifting, and identity stealing powers of the thing uh, because due to budget restraints. Well, Although, it was like what, just an alien, or no? It was a. It was James Arness in a big carrot suit. James Arness, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was a vegetable-based or plant-based. Yeah, yeah. There was actually supposedly, if you look, uh, there were some uh, storyboards and things for the uh, original movie that uh, did depict sort of a, a vegetable-type monster with like a human arm that was developing. So they kind of had the idea of the shape shifting in it, but. Again, you know, they didn't have, they couldn't pull it off with the budget they had. So, uh, yeah, J James Arness was basically in a uh, vegetable-like Frankenstein-type suit, and uh, he was still vegetable-based yeah, as the alien. But I remember, he had claws too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, but they still found the spaceship in the snow or in the ice, and they pull him out in the block of ice and they've got him there right. at the Arctic base and he, you know, eventually escapes and wrecks havoc. But, um, you know, keep in mind, Think From Another World was 1951. Mm -hmm. So, you know, back then, I think you had like Day the Earth Stood Still and Rocket Ship XM and, and The Thing. Though basically were the first three that kind of launched the whole sci-fi boom of the uh, of the fifties. What was the film with the pods? Those were uh, Invasion of the, of the Body Body Snatchers. snatchers. Yeah. When did that come out? Like mid mid to late fifties. That was more 50, like the yeah. scare the Cold War and stuff, right? Yeah, and, and to a certain point, you know, the novel Who Goes There was also kind of influenced by that because. Back then, you had the Red Scare, and you know who's right. communist and who wasn't, and you you know. Right, right. So there was that whole kind of fear that it basically played on, that was kind of lost in the in the thing from another world. I recently rewatched uh, this film. Well, not recently, probably three or four months ago, and uh, 
It actually was a, a very good movie overall, and I love the way that they vanquished, you know, the the thing at the end of the movie that uh, iconic uh, electrified field, and they just kind of fry them, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That was, well, they had James Arness was starting to get fried, and then they changed to a smaller actor <laughs> as he was shrinking, right. and, and away he went. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was amazing because back in, I believe it was 2001, 2002, Keith, and a- Keith Aiken and I went to uh, Bob Burns' place mm. down in Southern California. And uh, for those who don't know, Bob Burns has an amazing collection of props and memorabilia from movies and we were there and he had all these plans all spread out on his table and we're like hey what's this you know and he says well every halloween i do a big setup for my house and a lot of people that work on the special effects business in hollywood come out and and they help deck out his house every halloween and he does a big production and that year was going to be the thing oh nice so he had sort of, it was almost like an L-shaped, L-shaped set that went around his house. And basically people would go in the one end and it would have the different rooms. You'd, like, you'd have the first room with the ice block. Mm. You'd have the second room with the dog in the freezer and then, you know, different scenes from the movie. And then you get to the side of his house, down his driveway, and it was the whole scene where the thing gets electrocuted. Mm. And he had an actor would pop out of this door and scare everybody. And then uh, he'd jump back out and then he'd come back in at the end of the thing and then they would electrify him. And, That's cool. And people go out the other door. So, I mean, that was pretty amazing. And, and yeah, I mean, growing up watching this movie, you know, it was always, I always thought it was really interesting because of the whole kind of monster on the loose thing. And it was like one of the first kind of science fiction based Monster on the Loose because I mean you had Frankenstein the Wolfman and Dracula and that kind of stuff right but this was more you know this was the alien invasion type of thing which I, I think I don't know was it was that and Day of the Earth still were those the first ones was there anything before that I want to say those were Walker do you recall well I think they're probably two of the earliest ones I don't have a timeline uh, in front of me but yeah. I mean, I think you have to rank this as one of the very best of the the early, the 50s science fiction films. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's clearly one of the, the best produced. You can say what you want about um, the monster. I mean, that obviously, the, the using James Arness as the, the creature is it, somewhat lacking, but the overall production is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the cast is great. The way that they do the dialogue... Um, is so different from most films. You notice how people seem to talk more naturalistically and they're they're kind of overlapping dialogue. Somebody will start to say something and somebody will kind of talk a little bit over them, but it's it sounds more like a real conversation. Um, and that was really unusual, uh, I, I think, in a lot of films, especially back then, but even now. And just the relationships between the characters seemed more mature it didn't seem like a kiddie movie you know Mm -hmm. especially you had the relationship between the um the captain of the uh, aircraft uh i think his name was pat and then the the woman who was the assistant to the chief scientist nikki Mm -hmm. and 
there's there's all these allusions to the fact that the previous time he had been out at the base, he had gotten a little handsy with her. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he had been intoxicated and gotten a little handsy. And, and it was like a very mature level conversation, which is not something you normally saw in a lot of these types of films. Um, but uh, just all the characters were really well-defined, interesting characters. Um, so that even though you didn't have like the creature on the screen all the time, you were still interested in the story, what they were doing, what they were talking about. Um, so I, I thought it was, uh, it's one of the best films. It keeps your interest. I, I rewatched it before we um, did the podcast, even though I've seen this so many times, but it's one of those films I can just watch over and over again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even though it's just James Arness in a, in a suit, I mean, they don't show him that much. It's a yeah. lot of quick cuts. It's a lot of, uh, you know, you see him like being attacked by the dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, you see him, he's lit on fire and he jumps out the window. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you don't see like, you don't see him bursting out of the ice. You don't see him, you know, lumbering down the hallways and things. You know, they, they they keep it up to your, ma- you know, leave it to your imagination, which is really good. Yeah, a right. lot of films did that back then for budgetary reasons or just that's the way they wanted to film it. They left it to the audience's imagination. And I think, Karen, you brought up a good point. Um, the actors, the conversations that they had talking over each other, it was believable. It, it wasn't like most movies, like you said. And I think that kind of led more towards us believing that the thing, you know, could actually, you know, it, it was more like we were watching what was going on rather than watching a movie. You know, yeah. to a degree, uh, obviously. Yeah, um, they really sold it. You really right. believed that this was happening. And, and yeah, they did build suspense. I mean, there's some really good scenes in there where they're going through the quarters and they've got, you know, Geiger counter out and they're kind of, you know, like, oh, you know, where where is it at? They're, they're getting closer and closer and they're building all this suspense up, even though you don't see any monster on the screen, you're you're kind of like, oh, is it going to pop out where what's going to happen here right and actually some of those scenes reminded me of scenes we would see in later films like that whole thing kind of reminded me of um alien and when they're looking for the creature in these really cramped corridors and they're using their little detectors and i i do think this film really had an influence on a lot of later filmmakers i was gonna say the same thing like uh (laughs) you know if not the first predator movie the second one and and the alien and aliens and and uh those those films of the of the genre um you know and it's interesting as as much as we love that film how could it get better? Uh, we'll, we'll get into the to the main reason we're doing this podcast. I think we all love John Carpenter's vision uh, of this uh, story, uh, his movie The Thing, which came out in the eighties, and um, Kurt Russell played McCready, um, the helicopter pilot, and. Uh, We'll go back to Bob. Bob, did you, did you get to see that in the first run in the theater, or did you watch yes, it on TV? Yes, yes, I'm old. Yes, I, <laughs> <laughs> I did see it first run in the theater, and uh, yeah, I mean the thing about the thing about the thing <laughs> is that tell us about uh, the thing. Uh, yeah. Let me tell you a thing or two. <laughs> uh, now, John John Carpenter is a thing. I think you know, being 1982. 
that was really one of the last, I think, sci-fi slash action films that took it dead serious. Right. And you don't have, you know, he doesn't like shoot at the thing and then make a joke about it. You know, you don't have a lot of throwaway humor. Right. It's just dead serious. And, uh, you know, I think the same thing to a certain extent can be said about Aliens or about Alien, the first film. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, after that, then yeah, it all went crazy. But um, <clears throat> yeah, definitely John Carpenter played it straight. Kurt Russell played it straight. And uh, you know, they made a great team because they had done, what before that they did uh, Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. And right. then they did a movie where, uh, where Kurt Russell played Elvis. And then I guess it was after that that they did things like uh, Big trouble in Little China, but but yeah, no, definitely the thing. Uh, you know, I think was just a. It was probably the best of the three, definitely. You know, as far as I'm concerned, and the it definitely was much much closer to the original story than the other than uh, the original thing. Now, see, I, I never read the uh, the book or the novella, uh, Karen. Did you ever read the? The novella? Yeah, it's it's been a long time. I think I read it back in high school. But, and, and how about um, you? Did you get to see the movie first run or did you catch it on TV? No, I think I caught it on like a videotape or something. Mm. And your your impression of the film, my friend? You know, I, I kind of waver back and forth where I like the, the original or uh, Carpenter's version better. I mean, you, you could flip a coin um, or, you know, which day of the week is it? Oh, I like this one. No, I like that one. Um, I, I like them, them both. Um, they, they have different virtues. I, I love the fact that Carpenter didn't go in and, and you know, he... Yeah, he remade it, but he made his own version. And like Bob said, you know, he cleaved a little more to the original story. So, of course, we get those crazy Rob Bottine makeups with the tentacles and Mm. things flinging everywhere, um, which really differentiate it from the original one. Um, But also, it's just, you know, a product of its time, right? So these guys, and it's all guys, there's no women in this one. Um, these guys are all pretty much antisocial misfit types. You know, they're all just kind of gruff and they, nobody seems really happy with anybody else. Um, and, you know, you have the, you know, spoiler alert, the nihilistic ending, right? <laughs> like everybody wiped out except McCready and Childs and we don't really know if either of them are really human or not. And you know unlike the first one where it was sort of like you know yeah the good american know-how we've wiped out this alien invader and everything's going to be okay except scotty at the end the newspaper man saying well you know watch the skies watch the skies but it's sort of like but we're we're ready for them we're ready for them right the other the other one is decidedly more downbeat which goes with that sort of 1982 feeling but uh yeah, I love it. I mean, I'll, if it's on TV, I'll watch it. I'll stop what I'm doing and watch it. Um, you know, Carpenter did a fantastic job with it. Well, and I think it's still, <clears throat> you know, even though, you know, it's all practical effects, which, you know, some work great, some don't quite hold up. But there's still a couple scenes in that thing where you still jump. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You, know, I, I you kind of know they're coming, but you're going to jump anyway. 
Yeah, I, I think the special effects still hold up today for the most part. I mean, the dogs, the, uh, uh, you know, the autopsy with the, the torso opening up and oh, yeah. uh, the head <laughs> dropping off and growing uh, legs. There's some good lines too, like the the when uh, uh, what's the uh, uh, Clark, the dog guy, runs back and he goes, "It's weird and pissed off." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and those guys again, they do a, a good job, just like the other cast, really selling it when they react to, you know, the weird chimera creatures that are flailing around mixed up animal and human and stuff and they're looking at it and they're just like you you feel the same way like what am i looking at um that stuff is just like mind-blowing i i like the film you know i i like both and how can you make the original better and i i really believe john carpenter uh it it was uh, an homage um, but, you know, I think he did one up them because he it, it's a harder movie to watch than the first one in a, in a good way, because, it, you know, it, it was almost a reflection, not just of the 80s. I mean, we can kind of look around today. Um, do we all get along? Do we all trust each other? Do we you know, it was a very dysfunctional group of scientists or researchers up there at, at that base that really didn't get along with each other. And what was it that they were trying to accomplish? And and had the thing not landed and screwed things up, would they have finished their mission or, or done whatever? I don't know. Well, it's actually, it's also like the second part of a story where the first part at that point had not been told. Yeah. Because they go That's back it. to the Norwegian base and they find the ice mm. yeah. with the, you know, where the thing had burst out of it. But, you know, they don't know that that particularly is what had happened. And again, in the beginning, they have the uh, Norwegian helicopter pilots that are Good chasing point. the dog across the uh, ice. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And shooting at it. And, you know, you don't know until later that, yeah, that dog was infected and that's why they were chasing it. And, uh, yeah, even the dog, the dogs are great actors, too. If you look, <laughs> if you look at, at the scenes with the dogs, it's amazing. It's like... Yeah, you know they put the one dog in the pen with the others, and you know they're all just kind of like looking at it, and then they all start snarling, and mm-hmm. you know then he bursts open in that. But um, yeah, I mean it was definitely you know some some good training in that one. <laughs> yeah, I like the this one shot right before that when they have the dog going down the hall, and he walks, and then he'll stop and kind of look around, and then walk a little bit more, peek in the door, look around, yeah. and. I mean, you don't. The dog doesn't normally do that. I mean, they they really trained him well, so he looks like he's just like thinking about stuff, and it, it's it's very spooky. Right. Yeah. And I think the the second movie was a lot spookier than the first one. The first yeah. one had its moments. I mean, definitely. Um, and I well, still. I'll tell you something though, Larry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I watched this with my dad late, or I watched the first, the original thing with my dad late at night uh-huh. one time. I came home from, you know, being a teenager and running around and stuff. <laughs> and I came home and and it was on, uh, you know, late and we were watching it. And he goes, uh, he tells me, you know, I, I saw this when I was in the Navy. I saw it in a theater and this thing scared me so much. When I got out of the theater that night, it was like midnight, and I walked down the middle of the street all the way back to my barracks. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So it, that that movie, the original one, was scary enough back in its time, I guess. I, yeah, I, I I suppose so. Uh, well, like I say, you know, it was one of the first ones, so you know, right? You didn't have anything to really to compare it to. Now we just kind of take scares for granted, mm-hmm. but you know, back then it was early enough that uh, you could get away with uh, simple. Well, Easy and, scares. And, and again, your imagination, you know, uh, what what was lurking in the shadow? Yeah, what was they that, that They say there's nothing more uh, powerful than your imagination. So whatever they could show on the screen probably would not match what you could imagine in your head. Yeah. But. And, and to his credit, John Carpenter tried. <laughs> uh, he showed everything, you know, definitely, he, yeah. He showed it all. There, uh, the, the version that I have of the film uh, was put up by the Screen Factory on Blu-ray, and they have a bunch of additional behind-the-scenes uh, stuff on making the, the monsters and the aliens and the dog puppets and all that stuff. Um, really, really interesting what they did pre-CGI. You know, everything. The mm-hmm. goo was uh, practical. The, the blood was practical. How they got that head to crawl with the tentacles, you know, it was all mm-hmm. remote control, radio, this and that. Um, it was pretty pretty intense and pretty interesting. Um, and visually, like I said, a lot of that stuff still holds up today. Well, I know after the uh, after the dog bursts open in the, K- in the pen there, you know, they have this big bunch of goo dog in the middle of the thing yeah and i guess that rob botine was off at the time and uh, stan winston actually did that part oh nice and yeah, yeah they said there were like multiple people under the floor you know like puppets with the tentacles and the heads and everything else and moving everything around so See? Yeah, it takes yeah, a village it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like some of the forms they chose too were interesting i mean so like in a, my previous life you know i studied biology and everything but like when they dissected some of the things or like when the dog first its head bursts open yeah it looks sort of like a starfish you know and it's just like you see all these different things things here we go again (laughs) all these different like organisms or life forms in the the big massive right goo creature you know so there's tentacles there's like a starfish there's like oh there's the dog's paw oh there's looks like a human hand it's like like past it's lives super disturbing yeah it's well yeah just, that's, that was the whole theory was that yeah. as it absorbed and took over different creatures it maintained or retained the uh those different creatures that it had you know so yeah you'd have a a dog and a human and a octopus and God knows what else, you know, inside this thing. Well, it predated Predator by a number of years, but it would have been cool to have seen like a little Predator face pop <laughs> into that menagerie. I don't know if any of it was quite as disturbing, though, as the um, dog with the hobo's face in Body Snatchers. But oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that still really bothers me. <laughs> That was pretty bad. You know, there was, uh, so I'm watching the the Blu-ray and and the behind the scenes. I never knew this before uh, watching that special edition that they had um, like a little model. uh, I I don't want to say Dynamation, but it was stop motion um, of the alien at the end of the movie where they're going to use the dynamite. Mm -hmm. And I I never knew that before. It just, there's only like seconds of it that's in the actual theatrical version they had to cut the rest because it kind of 
they felt it would remove the audience from the picture because it was just not in in keeping with the practical mm-hmm. uh, alien and, and creatures and stuff. Yeah, you can definitely tell it's stop motion. I when I rewatched the film, I I was like, oh yeah, I remember now they had stop motion in it for just a second. Hmm. And what do you guys think? I mean, overall, the casting on the film, I, I think it was cast perfectly. Oh, it's great. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I yeah. mean, each of the actors played their, you know, it's almost like, are they playing a character or, or is it like mostly them uh, in there? And Kurt Russell, I mean, he's one of my favorite actors. He did such a great job uh, playing McCready. Yeah, Kurt Russell was great. And uh, you also had like Wilfred Brimley that was like right many characters oh, in many films and that and uh, yeah he was just he'd just be the one he'd be the one he'd probably have the most fun because he was the one that was always digging inside and doing the autopsies and pulling out all the <laughs> right. livers and goo and whatever and yeah no it was and, uh, although he that does have that one scene where he just gets to let loose and he goes crazy and <laughs> he starts uh like takes the axe to the different communication equipment and all that and he's like screaming right, and yelling right. and breaking it all up that was also um keith david's first film oh really uh, that who plays childs mm-hmm. and uh, oh. of course you know he's in they live later on right um, for carpenter but yeah he had been uh he had been acting on the stage, I guess, for some time, but he had never done a, a film before. So this was his first experience in film. Uh, a real good job. I thought, I thought he did, yeah, really well. Good antagonist for, for Kurt Russell. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, let me ask you guys this, because we kind of touched on this. So the whole Red Scare, the McCarthy hearings, all that stuff was happening mm-hmm. when the original film came out. And it kind of led to the angst and the... Uh, overall feeling of uh, foreboding in the film, you know, who is my neighbor? Did that work uh, to some degree uh, for the second film? It was done in the 80s. What was the... Well, actually, I was reading an interview with Carpenter, Uh and he was mentioning that uh, when his version of the thing came out, AIDS was just coming on the scene. Ah. And so it was kind of the same thing. No one knew what it was. No one really could tell who had it, mm-hmm. and it was actually a blood test that it could tell you what has it, mm-hmm. who has it. It was the same thing with the thing, is they have to do that test where yeah, heat they, uh, they yeah, heat it up. They've got the little electric uh, wire, and they touch it to the blood to see mm-hmm. what reacts. So, uh, and again, you know, and people are like obviously afraid of it. Right. You know? And Being so there was definitely yeah, you know, he was he drew that parallel, you mm-hmm. know, at that time. That's actually really good. Yeah, it is. I, I, I hadn't thought about that, but it makes perfect sense. Mm. That was a great scene, too, the blood test. Well, that was one of the jumps, too. Yeah, that was like, major. You don't know which one is going to react, and then suddenly well, and that I love one reacts, and then yeah, he, it, the thing reveals himself. He leads up to it. He says, I, I know I know the, uh, what's going to happen with this one. And he, psst, and nothing happens, and he's yeah. like, whoops. <laughs> Well, I couldn't understand why he kept holding those dishes in his hand, especially after he already had one of them, like, freak out. It's like, I'm not going to put that in my hand. Yeah, put that true. over on the table. It's like, what the heck are you doing? I'm going to tape this wire to this 10-foot pole. I will say, though, that that was one of the favorite scenes of me and my friends after we saw that movie when uh, 
uh, I think it's Palmer, uh, after they test him and the blood goes everywhere and then he just starts shaking on the couch and, yeah. and the other guys are screaming. And so me and my friends, if we'd be like sitting on a couch or something, I, sometimes I would just start doing that shaking. <laughs> the, the thing. And they knew exactly what was, they'd be like, ah, ah. Well, yes, our little, our little nerd, nerdness we would express in these various ways. Ah, the life of the party. <laughs> yes. Of course, my head wouldn't explode and I wouldn't grow tentacles. I, I kept waiting for it to happen. and never did that. <laughs> but also with John Carpenter's The Thing, do you see who did the music for that? Yes. Kenio Morricone. So, yeah, it was definitely, you know, we had a uh, discussion with David Schechter a few episodes ago about mm -hmm. music, movie music. And, yeah, I know that John Carpenter's The Thing definitely has some pretty creepy music in it. it and it really really sets the mood and the yeah. tone for that film I mean it's <laughs> um, matter of fact that uh, Sound Factory edition has a little uh, bit on on the music mm -hmm. and how they they scored it so uh, it was well it was it's good. interesting too because he uses synthesizers and stuff just like um, Carpenter does and he definitely gives it a Carpenter feel yes absolutely well, let me ask you guys this. So we talked about the first and the second. There was actually a third or a prequel to the thing. And uh, Bob, what was that called? Uh, you know, it was called The Thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I watched it fairly recently. And, uh, you know, the, the fascinating thing about that movie is they went back to John Carpenter's film. And a lot of the scenes in this version of the thing mm -hmm. were recreations of scenes in John Carpenter's The Thing. Like they would go and they'd look at something in John Carpenter's movie and go, okay, this axe is in the wall. There's an axe sticking in the wall. Mm -hmm. How did that get in there? And then they'd write a whole scene leading up to the axe being into the into How the, the wall. Swedes set it yeah, up yeah. so that. So this was basically the Norwegian camp and what happened before John Carpenter's The Thing leading up to that. In fact, at the end of the film, the dog escapes with the thing inside mm -hmm. and the helicopter goes after it. And that's the end of this movie, which leads right into the beginning of John Carpenter's The Thing where the helicopter's chasing the dog across the ice. So if you uh, cut the credits on the 2011 version, it would lead right into John Carpenter's version. I've seen it twice, and I, I, I didn't care for it too much the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, the second time, it really worked a lot better. And I'm going to try doing that, though, watching the third film and then the second film and seeing. Because I, I didn't notice yeah. all the, like, acts and stuff, but I did notice the uh, hunting for the dog. It was almost the same helicopter and the angle and stuff yeah. and I'm, I'm like did they use the footage from the you know john carpenter's film i don't think they did i think they redid it they but re but yeah i mean even like like we discussed with john carpenter's the thing where they went back and they found the ice where the thing had the broken out of stuff, it yeah well in this movie they show the oh. thing breaking out of that ice <clears throat> right you know? right so um so yeah and they definitely took a lot of cues from john carpenter's film and instead of following the cues mm -hmm. they went back and led up to the cues 
Okay. Did you see this so. at the movie theater also, Bob? Or you? Saw uh, no, actually. Even though it's a newer film, I missed it in the theaters for some reason. But I mm. saw, you know, I got the DVD and later Blu-ray after. But yeah, I, I did the same yeah. thing. DVD. How about you, Karen? Yeah, I saw this on TV at some point, and <laughs> I don't have a lot to say about it. I guess I, I wasn't real real impressed with it. Mm. Um, I just didn't feel the need to tell the story. I I don't know. It just didn't seem to me, you know, that it was essential to know what happened and. It, it just, um, yeah, it didn't do anything for me, really. Um, so I guess I have nothing to contribute, guys. I just, <laughs> no, no, that's... Yeah, it, 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 it didn't really do anything for me. So uh, yeah. uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's two thing movies I can talk about, and that's not one of them. And that that's that. It, well, in watching the John Carpenter movie with uh, the Norwegians, not the Swedes, uh, going after the dog and then you know the movie starts with McCready and all those guys it's almost like a James Bond uh, movie where you always have him finishing off his last mission and then the new story uh, you know from Russia with love then begins or whatever and you never really know what the whole story was with the you know five minute ending of his past mission that's kind of what this was to me it was like Oh, they're well, chasing yeah. this dog and stuff. But we had the opportunity to see what that movie was. Well, what led up to <laughs> or, it. And, right. you know, you, you mentioned the Norwegians. And the interesting thing is, in the thing, in the uh, 2011 version, hmm. the Norwegians there were actually popular Norwegian actors. Oh, really? In Norway, they were like they were like big name actors and they brought them over here. And of course, we didn't know who they were. Right. But, you know, they were definitely good actors, but mm -hmm. it turns out, yeah, they were like A-list stars over in Norway. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this cuz I it's been a while since I saw the film. What I remember is the woman was infected, right? Right. And she's in that little snowmobile. And rather than doing herself away, killing herself, did she drive off? And did she survive? I think she drove off. So right? in effect, the thing is alive in that woman and that dog. Yeah. So there is another story to be told. Did you she would make think, it? Yeah. Did she make it to civilization or whatever? Okay. So along with the listeners, they left that open for a sequel. But yeah, along with the listeners, we're gonna have to go back and watch that movie and see what happened. No, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Well, no, I know because I remember they're like, you know, it's in the dog, it's in the dog, and the dog like takes off, mm. and that's yeah when they start chasing it. But well, let me ask you guys this. So we'll we'll go back to the uh, John Carpenter version of the thing. You're a scientist or a helicopter uh, driver or a cook, whatever, and you're up in this outpost, and all this alien crap starts going down. How would you react? What what would you what would be your first? Would you kind of try to quarantine yourself, or would you actively work uh, try to get a group together to to figure this out? I mean, what what would you, with all the knowledge that we have in all these genre films and, and comic books and books and, and whatnot, uh, who would like to go first? I, I, or if you guys well, want I me would, to go first. I would oh. probably just like collect every coat, blanket, warm thing I can find <laughs> and hide in a meat locker or something. Whatever is like the 
strongest door in the place. No. Okay. But, All right. No, I mean, yeah, I would probably, I doubt I would just like, you know, run out after it go, or go. grab a gun and try to do something. Yeah. Join in the hysteria. No, nah, no. I would self-preservation. I'd self-preservation. I'd hide somewhere. Well, uh, Karen? Well, putting you on the spot. Every, every cell of this thing is capable of infecting a host. Mm-hmm. You'd probably have to raise the entire place to the ground, including everyone in it. So, yeah, you probably just have to, like, wipe everybody out. You go with the nuclear option? Yeah, you have to, because the thing is, is, you know, if you even have, like, one, not even a drop of its blood, but even a single cell gets into another organism, it'll it'll take it over, right? So right. You, you can't possibly, it was like at one point, one of the characters in Carpenter's version says, uh, you know, we better prepare our own food and we should only eat out of cans. I mean, even that is difficult because you can't see these minuscule cells, right? If, if there was like something, some of those uh, scenes where like these things are getting shot and there's blood spray or whatever the right. goo is, you know, you might have a droplet on your hand you don't even see and then you rub your face or, you know, it's like you're going to, it's going to get you sooner or later. So you got to prevent the rest of the world from getting it. So you, you, yeah, you got to you know, nuke it from orbit. It's the only, only way to be sure. Right? <laughs> well, even in, in John Carpenter's The Thing, I think it's Wilfred Brimley again, that uh, he's looking at those fine computer graphics uh, from 1982. <laughs> and, uh, and it says that, yeah, if, if it spread, that it could take over the world in, what was it, like 27,000 hours yeah. after first contagion or something? Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, think about that. It's just... You can't let it out of the Antarctic. How it's how would you convince everyone to to you know hole up in the middle of the camp and you know get blown up? Well, I don't think you can. So you're going to have to just take matters into your own hands. <laughs> well, you know that too. But it's like if you're infected, do you know you're infected? I think you do. Karen, what do you think? I well, mean, that's a good question. Or do you, or do you just like, have to, like, sacrifice yourself along with everyone else to save the world? Well, that dog was infected, right? And the dog was yeah. kind of checking out the rooms and looking back but and there's, forth. There's yeah, but he like had, like, an intelligence, though. He, there's different well, ways to get that. infected, right? You could have, like, a tiny cell get in you, and it might take a long time to take over. But then there's, like, the other ways where, like the big masses of the creature Mm. physically absorb a person and then like spit out a duplicate of that person. I think those duplicates know that they're duplicates. So there are varying degrees. I'm sorry, what was that? Is that what you're saying? There are like varying degrees of... Like if you just had like a few cells get in you, you're still mostly you. Yeah. It would take time for it to take you over it's kind of like hives you kind of get like a rash first and then it just kind of takes over your whole body chicken pox he's taking over the world (laughs) 
I'm just trying to, you know, my little pea brain's trying to get all these high finagling uh, scientific uh, concepts you two are throwing back and forth at Trying me. to grasp the whole situation. <laughs> See, Larry wouldn't survive because he'd be sitting there trying to think. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'd be questioning and pondering, and then I'd become one of the damn things. I'd just be running around shooting all of you and sitting on fire. That's right, and I'll be hiding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I know where you're going to hide You'll have to find me. in the meat locker. That's right. He's always in the meat locker. Just hang on a minute. You can't get me. <laughs> it's all metal walls. You can't burn me out. You're, you're kind of cornered, though. Well, they could use dynamite. Well, that's true. You're, you're kind of cornered. There's no exit. I mean, it's almost like yeah. Night of the Living Dead. Do you go in the basement or you stay up top? <laughs> well, don't start that argument. Well, at, at the end, you know, the basement was the place to go. Right. Well, other than for was her mother, it? yeah. I mean, for some well, I mean, he had to retreat in the basement at the end. It's like, yeah, that was it. He could have just said, "Hey, it's me," though, instead of standing there and getting shot. Well, I'm not even sure that would work in that I, part of the country. Yeah, I, well, you know. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back to the thing. <laughs> yeah. We can back do a Night Living Dead episode later. We'll we'll need to actually. That's something we haven't really tackled. Was. Uh, zombies and and whatnot but yeah so getting back to the thing okay so bob would hide in a meat locker karen would would go, you contact would go some? ballistic so yeah karen so would you just take a gun and just start like shooting people or or would you call high command and ask for like a nuclear drop no because they might do something stupid and send out a rescue team or something you just got to take matters into your own hands but remember okay. wilford brimley destroyed all the radios so you can't yeah. radio out well I'm almost thinking Karen's like that character in our little <laughs> she is <laughs> yeah, probably she's gonna yeah. go around I'm not gonna let you guys leave that Bob's like, Bob runs at the meat locker and I'd be like what the hell's Karen doing why'd Bob go in the meat locker what is this itchy rash on my arm <laughs> as Larry tries to figure out the psychological ramifications of the whole thing <laughs> I, you know, if, if it was me and I came to the realization, I I don't know that I'd go around like shooting everyone, but I hear what you're saying, Karen, because no one can escape. And ultimately, yeah, that, that was one of the most perfect endings to a film. There was McCready uh, with Childs, not knowing who was human, who wasn't, and, and they were going to wait out each other freezing to death now here's the scary part and and what i thought a third movie would have been interesting is eventually someone's going to go to that base and find the base burned records and everything destroyed but two frozen people in the snow that may or may not be infected and they're probably going to do an autopsy or at least bury them and that entails them thawing the bodies out well, if they're infected, then they're still alive, right? But we wouldn't know it right. until it was too late. And when I say we, I mean humanity. But no, I mean, definitely, that's the whole thing. It's like you can't go around shooting people because then you're spreading their blood and you're spreading their cells and whatever. Well, you just burn everything. Oh, yeah, you got a <laughs> flamethrower everywhere. You've given us a lot of thought, Karen. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's like a standard, you know, contamination Quarantine. protocol so, you just burn everything so let me ask you this Karen uh, McCready and and uh, Childs uh, they freeze right that's a that's a foregone conclusion a third you get to do a third movie what what what, what happens you, you you go there you're a scientist you're like what the heck 
do you un do you thaw the bodies or, or not? Well, if you didn't know what had happened, yeah, you'd probably, well, hopefully you're in a, a good, you know, uh, containment suit, mm -hmm. uh, you know, good biocontainment suit, and you have the bodies taken somewhere and in a very, you know, secure environment, but it, you wouldn't know what had happened. So, you'd, yeah, you'd probably start, you know, cutting and, and taking samples and... And yeah, then the whole problem probably starts up again because. Well, it would be interesting because you, you, a research team or whoever would go there and be like, who smashed all the equipment with an axe and why? Mm -hmm. And why are, you know, what are these, uh, you know, that dog thing got blown up with the dynamite and whatever. And the two guys are frozen outside and Bob's frozen in a meat locker. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the other scenario. Mm -hmm. So Larry and Karen, you guys are out there just like McCready and then you guys are like face to face in the snow. Now obviously Karen would just torch you right there. <laughs> or shoot me. Sorry. Or just, both. You're torched. All right. You're gone. Yeah. So Karen, you're left. You're the only one left. You don't know if you're infected or not. So what do you do? Well, I'm assuming I am. So then I have to also, uh, you know, burn myself. Um, so yeah, that's going to be fun. Uh, unless, uh, unless a realization, a, a second voice starts talking to you in, in your mind saying, and, and Karen's like, okay, I, I just killed my best friend, burned him, now I'm going to have to burn myself. And then the other voice is like, no, you don't want to burn yourself, Karen. You want to live. Is it Mickey? No, the, the, other, the other voice would be saying, let me out of this damn meat locker. <laughs> God help us if we were in charge of Hollywood. <laughs> hey, guys. I, you know, though, thinking about that ending, though, that I don't think we would ever see. Well, I don't want to say ever, but you, you don't see endings like that nowadays. No. That would be so unsatisfying to most audiences. Well, there's, there's not a satisfactory ending to that scenario. Yeah. No, I yeah. well, I I think it was the perfect way to end that film. But I oh, think yeah. Karen makes a great that. point. And what other film have we seen end that way? I mean, The Mist. There was a movie about The Mist. You never saw The Mist. I and well, that was pretty depressing. Spoiler alert! That was one of the most depressing endings of any film you'd ever want to see. Yeah. What was the The Mist? Is the the uh, um. Not John Carpenter. No, that's the fog. The fog. Yeah, the mist is. Uh... <laughs> yes, the mist was denser than the fog. <laughs> and there's no, all these like creatures in the mist and all that. And they're in a grocery store, right? Yeah, and the guy escapes. Spoiler he alert. escapes. Yeah, sorry. Spoiler alert: This guy escapes with his family, and he's got a gun. There's five of them. There's four bullets, and. You know, if you're caught by these creatures, it's like a horrible, horrible, horrible death. Yeah. So he figures, you know, they're not going to get out of this mess. They're not. There's no way. So he kills his family so they don't suffer. And there's not a bullet left to kill him. And then suddenly, as he's driving, the mist dissipates and the army's there. And it turns out that they would have been saved. Ah. But he had just killed his family thinking it was a mercy killing but yeah so I mean that was if you want that kind of an ending that's probably the other film definitely that has uh, a depressing ending like that I, I recall that maybe I saw a made for TV movie of it it's uh, Stephen King right 
Mm, Was it based on a short story? I think so. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we digress. (laughs) (laughs) Chief Engineer, I think we have someone coming across on the interrossiter. Can you tune in? Hello. Hello. Okay. Look at Uh, that. uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Bob Eggleton. Uh, he is uh, he is visiting via Interocitor. He is on planet Earth. Welcome to Planet Eight. Awesome. Um, yeah, I understand you are a world-renowned illustrator. Yeah. And, uh, we we have it on good authority that you're going to be working on some illustrations for the latest edition of uh, Who Goes There. Yes, actually, they're done. The art's all done. It's in, and now it's up to the publisher to make it into a book. Awesome. Um, J- John uh, Bedencourt, uh, who runs Wildside Press, um, and you can go find him on the net, Wildside Press, he called me up back in, oh, it must have been September, October, and he said, hey, hey, I've got this, like, uh, this... Um, uh, I've got. I, I'm now the kind of the, the rights manager, and I've acquired the rights to John W. Campbell's works. And one of them we just discovered in all the files was a, a, a longer version of the thing. It's a novel length version of the thing, and not a novella. I guess the original was a novella. So he said it's 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 a it's a it's a, it's a longer version. And oh boy. Uh, it's, this is, this is, um, you know, uh, I want to publish it. What, what would you, you know, if we did a Kickstarter, what would you charge me to the cover? And it's like, so we discussed money options and he said, you know, if I get like $15,000, we can afford you to do the, and I, you know, I was given, going to give him a break anyway. I I wasn't going to say no to the thing. Believe me. You know, I was (laughs) like, you know, this is like. You know, I, I already illustrated, I finished illustrating Foundation tri- the Foundation Trilogy for Isaac Asimov, which will be out from MBI Books probably this year, I hope. Um, and I certainly wasn't going to be, you know, going to kick off doing the, you know, going to say, you know, no, no to the thing. And so, anyway, uh, the next thing happened was is that a number of sites picked it up. Sci-Fi.com was the biggie and another one, a couple of others, and... Um, they the the Kickstarter it went into the like over a hundred thousand dollars. I don't remember what the final thing was, but all of a sudden John had a fortune to play with, a relative fortune to make a book. And so now I said, well, why don't we add in a color frontispiece, and why don't we do six black and white interiors for it? And you know, so now you know more money's involved, which is nice. And um, and he said, great, let's do that. And um, um, that's how it kind of took off, and uh, it's it's being packaged as a book called Frozen Hell, and uh, John has got a sequel that he's written uh, to the actual his own sequel to um, Campbell's book, um, and he's putting that in there too as well, and so you'll get the the whole novel, the the longer version of 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 who goes there, and you'll get his kind of follow up in his own way that he's, he's done his own version of it, uh, of a kind of a sequel, if you will. And anyway, so, so the nice part was, is a nice being able to kind of illustrate these things. And I illustrated them in old pen and ink and scratchboard style, which in the inside, so it, it lends a kind of a vintage feel to it. I wanted to like make it feel kind of 1940s, 1950s. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fun book to, to, um, uh, to do. And Campbell is very scientific. I mean, his, his scientific, uh, techno 
babble, I want to call it, if, if you don't mind me saying that, is, is, it's, it's really thick. I mean, he's really, really thick. He gets into the whole, uh, you know, one of, he's got a book called The Ultimate Weapon, and there's a great line from it, and it said, those positrons are sure excited by those electrons, aren't they? Like, yeah, you know, there's all this scientific talk. And, and as for, I, I, you know, I it just, I mean, he laughed, you know, and, and, uh, and I find that pretty funny. I, you know, I just that, and, and I just, so I went into it thinking, you know, I'm a real big fan of the movies of the, the all three movies. Um, oh, yeah. and, um, and we'll get into that. And I'm, I'm, uh, uh, a big fan of that. And, uh, I like the, um, I just like the source material too, because it's kind of really one of the first, the really first popular realized monster from outer space kind of movie uh, stories. And of course this was picked up by, um, you know, Howard Hawks and, uh, he made it into this 1951 movie that was kind of an allegory for cold war paranoia. And, um, and, and it was still, I mean, you know, there's something about that movie that's just so highly watchable. It's like, you just can put it on and you've seen it a million times, but it just, well, I'll see it a million and one, you know I mean? It's, it's, it's just that good. And, um, a little old fashioned, but that good. And then, of course, the John Carpenter one is for me. That's that's a mainstay because it's just you got you know so many great drop dead funny lines in it. I mean, the, the sense there's a sense of humor in it that that uh, um, when I first saw it in the theaters, I, I I knew they were going. John Carpenter said he wanted to go back to the source material, and um, and and when you when you read in the original book, there's McReady and Norris and 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 you know and you get all the characters. And, and 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 so in my head I'm picturing, oh my God, that that's Richard Dysart. That that's you know such such and such you know, and and I'm thinking of um uh you know because because they they really went back to John Carpenter really went back to the source material on it and um and then of course they made the 2011 the thing which was kind of I I, I think the, the 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 failure of the movie was just I just think it was poorly marketed I, I, I didn't think it was a bad movie I was a I thought it was a terrific film but it's like I just thought it was poorly marketed and um, maybe I could subscribe to the idea that they used a little bit too much CGI um, unlike the unlike the 82 one which you just didn't know what was going to pop out of what next you know what i mean you just that was half the fun of it was like rob bottine's onset physical effects you know and you had no they you had no idea what you were going to see next and um and uh this one was a little more um kind of a, a, a you know predictable kind of uh you know looking thing and and um i i, I you know it's, it's, it's interesting but this talk in the works and I, I got this from a high on source this talk in the works that they're they're thinking about yet another version in the film version of the thing and this would stick more closer to the original book apparently so that one won't be a prequel, sequel, it'll be an actual remake then. That'll be like its own, like as if nothing else ever happened. It'll just be its own thing, you know, um, pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> it'll just be its own, uh, uh, you know, its own, you know, its own Stand movie. Alone. And they're ta- it's in the, it's apparently in the, in the chit chat phase and the, and the talking stage. And, and what it takes is a, a very, uh, I, it takes a, a good director who's willing to say, okay, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go all out and full tilt and I'm going to, you know, just 
you know, do my version of what, what this could, what this could look like or, you know, whatever. And, uh, I mean, what I liked about the 2011 version of it was that they had the Norwegian cast that, um, was, uh, you know, I mean, you know, you, 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 it, it really tied in beautifully with the 1982 version. And so they had this, you know, they had the, they had, you know, the K except for, um, was it a Mary Elizabeth Winstead who, uh, who, um, I guess was the, 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 um, you know, sort of an ingenue in movies. And then the rest of the crew, I, I, you know, they were kind of like a lot, lot of unknowns, frankly. And, um, and I just think that they, and when they called it the thing, everybody said, well, it's a remake of it. And it's like, and I'm thinking, well, no, actually it's a prequel. And it, I mean, I, I think that it, it would have been better if they had labeled it something like the thing, you know, Genesis or the thing, the beginning or something like that. I mean, that, that I think might've been probably a little more of a, of a, a way of presenting it than uh, it being a sequel. Well, we were talking earlier in the episode about uh, yeah. Well, we were talking yeah. earlier mm -hmm. in the episode about uh, the fact that all those Norwegian actors were actually very popular actors in in Norway. Yeah, they were uh, you know sort of like their A list uh, actors, but we just no one over here had ever heard of them. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, um, I mean, if you ever saw the movie Troll Hunter, it's it's one of the, it literally is one of the, it's an absolute treat to see a kind of movie made completely with you know Norwegian subtitles and 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 it really takes the Mickey out of the whole you know the whole government way of working you know that they did they have and 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 so i think they did a good i think they just did a good job with it i think they they, they did a good job and but it was um i just think that it was like it was interesting because they they simply just didn't market it as well as they probably could have um uh you know i mean they really i you know it was kind of like the thing and i went like oh you know so be, people literally were saying to me oh is, oh is it a remake of the 82 version or, or you know is it a sequel i was like no it's actually a prequel to the year 82 one and I, i'm not sure that that was really transmitted trans that i didn't think they did uh, a real good job presenting that in the in the trailers or in the promotion of the, the the promotion for the movie. Like you know, they didn't say that it was set in 1982 and so on. Well, what do you whatever the Norwegian uh, word for thing is, maybe they should have used that as the title. <laughs> that was another friend's idea. He said the exact same thing, exactly that. He she said it should have been like a Norwegian title and. Um, you know, something like that. And he said it might have been, it might have been a little bit more of a curiosity factor, um, yeah. uh, you know, in, in something like that. But I, I mean, I, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting, it's, it's going to be a popular concept no matter what happens. I mean, the, well, look, the 82 movie didn't, was a failure when it came out because it was competing against a much more friendly alien next door in theaters, E.T. And I remember it where there was like the cinema I saw it, it was a double cinema and it, one theater had the thing, John Carpenter's the thing and the other one had E.T. And so where do you think the crowds were? They were in E.T. And then a friend and I went to see the thing and all we had heard was that it's just one of these, it, it was for the time super gory and um, and Kurt Russell was in it. So I said, well, you know, let's go see it. And we did. And um, it sort of became a kind of a favorite of mine ever since. And, um, um, you know, and, and, and my wife, it's, it's one of her very favorite movies. So, you, you know, you married the right person when, <laughs> when, when it's one of her favorite movies, too, you know. Right, right. 
When you got the job uh, to illustrate and do art for the book, how much input do you have versus how much input does the uh, publisher have? Do they actually like say, I want a picture of this and a picture of that? No, no, or do no. you get I, to go I, in and choose? I, I, got, I get very lucky. Um, I'm in a kind of a state in my career, and this is kind of cool, where, where the publishers and the, they just say to me, give me a Bob, you know, give me a Bob Eggleton, you know, like that. And, and I knew you'd love this. You're a creature guy. You're a monster guy. And this is what John Betancourt actually said to me. He said, he said I, I knew you're going to like this because he said, you're a monster man. And he said, you, you, you know, this is the kind of thing that would be right up your alley. And so what I wanted to do, I, 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 I kind of gave us the cover that right on the cover is, is the creature and he's kind of staring back at you and, and around him, you're seeing like eyes and you're seeing kind of a head melting into him and things like that. And this, this is all like, if you look at it, it subtly resembles, um, the gates of hell you see these two pylons of ice and there's sort of this glowing light from behind it and um and then in the inside illustration which is in color i did the aurora australis um in in our you know you see that in our antarctica and i did that and it kind of like you're seeing uh, something burning its way through the earth's atmosphere and going to crash in the ice and um, and that's, and so that's, that's our opening frontispiece for it. And I, I felt that was appropriate. Um, but I mean, I, sometimes people say, oh, you know, maybe leave the monster up to people's imagination. Well, in this case, it's just, it's just, it's too much of a fun monster to leave alone, you know? So I, 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 I couldn't resist giving it to you, right to you on the, on the front cover, you know? And it was like, um, and it's going to be a nice book. They're going to do a real nice book with it. Um, you know, sewn stitch binding the whole nine yards. Uh, and, and the nice part was that John, John just said, just, just go to town, have fun with it. He said, just, 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 just have fun with it. You know, that's great. That's cool. So when you go through and read the story, then how do you, or what is it that popped out to you that said, okay, I want to illustrate this part or that part? Well, I was in Australia reading it, um, seeing as with uh, my wife, my in-laws down there. And of course it's very hot in Australia. So, you know, you, you don't go out in the day. So we're, I was inside reading a bit and I was jotting down ideas of what I wanted to do. And, um, uh, I, I figured let, let's show them as they discover the, the spaceship and let's show them as they're walking off into the, into the wilds of the snow and things like that. And then, um, um, you know, kind of another one with the encampment and, and stuff like that, you know? So it's like, I just wanted to have some fun with it and, 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 and not, you know, I don't think illustrations should be too, interior artwork should be too, too overly descriptive because people are just going to form, they're going to form their own images in their own mind. So all it can really be is just kind of like, you know, in a sense, page decoration and, um, and it faces the text so that it gives you an idea of what and what you know what and and then in two of the illustrations i just did pictures of the creature itself because i just think it's so much attention is given to that and um you know it's real interesting what um um uh, campbell was very much into the scientific aspect of things and he really really went off to the to the um he went out for the um, you know, real, real scientific stuff. So, so that was, you know, in, you got to keep that in mind when you're reading it. And, um, yeah. So, and I think the ultimate thrill, the real thrill was the fact that I got a fan letter from his grandson 
who um, John Hammond Campbell or John Campbell Hammond, I think his name or whatever it is. And he uh, went on and told me how much he loved us and thank you for honoring my grandfather's work. And I was like, oh, great. This is awesome. So, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a good thing. Anytime you can do something you love and get paid for it, it's a good day. No, absolutely. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like you, and that's that's what I do. I mean, I do, um, you know, um, um, I, I, I've gotten managed to be able to do a lot of the things I love and, and right out of my childhood, whether it's the, the thing or the creatures on the Black Lagoon or Godzilla or, you know, this sort of thing. And, and um, I, you know, I'm, it's all just, it, for me, it's all just... I just try to keep everything fun and, and, um, and, um, you know, and despite everything going on around us and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, I just try to keep everything, uh, pretty much fun. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, this, 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 this piece was, uh, this project was really, really interesting to get it to where it, it had to reach its beauty point. Um, that being was that I, I was a little bit confused in the main cover illustration as to which way to exactly go. And I sat around thinking about it for a very long time. I mean, like an inordinately longer time than I usually do on these kind of things. And then I said, well, you know, why don't we do this way? And why don't I do this? And, and ultimately I was going to do one idea. And then that whole idea just kind of folded up and I said, you know, this is a bad, I came up with literally just looking at it from a different angle. I said, you know, let me just do this better idea. And that's what I did. And that's what I came up with. And, and so that's, it's always good when that happens. Yeah, that's good. Um, let me ask you this, uh, where can our listeners find you on the internet? Do you have a specific I'm on website? Facebook. Mostly Facebook is, I have a website, but it's really sorely out of date. But Facebook, I have a public page and um, I, well, I know, but not everybody sees everything public. I have some private stuff that I share just with friends, but uh, I have a general public page and um, <coughs> it's just simply, I'm just simply known as Bob Eggleton and um and uh, then there's the Bob Eggleton face group group, which showcases all my artwork. And that was set up by my friend Steve O'Driscoll and he's over in Ireland and, uh, and, and he just wanted to have a Bob Eggleton fan page. So that's what he made. So it was kind of cool. cool. And, and that's kind of like the best stuff to, 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 I'm very active on those pages. And, um, and that's really the, 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 the place where, where you really can see the real me for better or worse. <laughs> All right, great. Well, we're going to also upload that information to our webpage awesome. for this episode. So, yeah, those of uh, our listeners that want to reach out to you, they can go ahead and follow that link. And, uh, Bob, you know, I just want to say thank you very much for joining oh, us. Oh, awesome. I was enjoyed doing it. I'm sorry, my, my voice sounds like it was, my voice sounds like gravel, but it's like uh, that's what's happened with this, this, this cold, this aforementioned cold cough virusy thing that, that we've all had, you know. <laughs> Exactly. I only, it only hurts when I laugh. <laughs> we, we've already done the blood test. We know that you're not a uh, representation of the thing. You are exactly Bob. So yeah, exactly. It's okay. That's the, that's the, that was the, the, um, that was the, um, uh, you know, um, you know, but I, I just, I just, I, you know, just this, this is part of, this has been sort of part of pop culture and part of our lives really for many, many years. And for, to do the source material, that is a real honor for me. And I was really, really happy to do that. And, 
you know, it's funny because like I, some of the fans of the movie, I'm not sure if they exactly knew that the story was actually written in like the late 1940s. And it was like it was it was made into a movie and then made into another movie and then made into a prequel to that movie, you know. So so it, 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 it and it's still ongoing. I mean, there, there's talk, rumors that there will be another thing movie. And again, it will be something complete, not not within the franchise that we know, but something completely other um and sticking primarily more to the book than this than the other ones were right well we'll we'll wait and see what happens but until then we're looking forward to seeing the uh illustrations you have in the book coming out and um whatever other projects you have coming out in the future so and you take care and we'll see you again soon thanks much enjoy take care bye-bye Hey, it's at that point in the podcast where we have our sensor sweep. And today, Chief Engineer Bob has something sensational, amazing, and wonderful to share with us. So take it away, Chief Engineer Bob. Well, recently, coming out on Blu-ray from Discotech Media, is uh, Tetsujin 28, which they call Shin Tetsujin 28. I guess Shin's like the new catchword now. Oh. Shin is like Japanese for new. Like Shin Godzilla, or whatever. Anyway, they're calling this Shin Tetsujin 28, but it's the 1980 version of Tetsujin 28, also known as Gigantor. Oh. And uh, I always loved the movie, loved the TV series back in the 80s, and uh, they're finally releasing it on Blu-ray, and it looks great. And the prints that they got, you know, it's really beautiful, and uh, it's all Japanese with uh, subtitles. And I know that a dub does exist. It's not on here. But um, Fred Ladd, who basically produced and dubbed the original Gigantor oh. and Kimba the White Lion and uh, Astro Boy, did a dub of Tetrogen 28, calling it Gigantor. And uh, I think it played in syndication for a little bit. I, I might have seen like half a dozen episodes. But... Um, this is definitely, it's Japanese with English subtitles, and the, the series is a lot of fun, and it's, it's really kind of nice to see, you know, whether it's Discotech or whether it's uh, Sentai Filmworks or whatever, that uh, are bringing out some of this older animation. Whether it's Tetsujin 28, God Mars, Ghost Shogun, or even older things like Captain Harlock and Cutie Honey and uh, Devil Man and Gachaman. But uh, keep your eyes out definitely for Tetsujin 28, uh, available on Amazon and anywhere that finer Blu-rays are sold. And uh, you'll definitely enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Very good. Thank you, Chief Engineer. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com. Dot com, where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Planet8Podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.